It's the e-commerce master plan podcast here to help you grow your e-commerce business faster and more efficiently by cutting through the hype to bring you inspiration and guidance from the e-commerce sector and beyond. Here's your host, Chloe Thomas. Hello, Master Plan World. Welcome to our latest podcast. It's a pleasure to have you all out there listening. I'm Chloe Thomas, the creator of the e-commerce Master Plan. I'm an author, speaker and advisor, and I focus on e-commerce marketing. Last time we talked with Jane from the Natural Birthing Company about how she's grown her business 60% in the last year and embraced all the routes to market to get the product in front of the customer, her own Shopify store, marketplaces and wholesaling. You can join in the chat about those topics and anything else e-commerce in the e-commerce Masterplan World Facebook group at ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash Facebook. Let me introduce you to today's special guest. Pierre LaRose is the founder of Calsa Thai, who sell Thai pants in Brazil and beyond. He launched the business three years ago with zero experience of fashion or retail and has already built it to over £250,000 annual turnover. Hello, Pierre. Hi, Chloe. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? Not bad at all, thank you. Um, I've just given our listeners a super quick overview of you and your business and where you're at, but how did you get started off in e-commerce? Uh, so this is this is actually the first um, and only uh, e-commerce company that I've launched. And the original idea came about in uh, 2014, uh, the end of 2014. And um, basically my ex-girlfriend at the time, who was Brazilian, used to wear Thai clothes. And her friends used to ask her a lot about uh, those clothes. And she always used to say, you can't get them in Brazil. So I thought, well, is that true? So uh, I had a look, and uh, most of what was being commercialized uh, at the time was from India, those types of clothes, and not from Thailand. So mm-hmm. I thought, I can do this. And basically, it started from there. I then went to Thailand, and I researched how... I could set this up, what would be needed, started making some local contacts. And that took about six months before we actually had a site online that was, that was selling. So that's the, that's the story behind the idea. And in terms of uh, my own background, I come from an online gaming background. So I spent 10 years in online gaming, which is actually not that dissimilar to e-commerce in terms of acquisition, retention, and, and so forth. Big difference is, there's no physical product. So for me, the learning curve, what was really new was everything uh, related to physical sites and logistics, inventory management. All of that was new. Um, I didn't even know what a, what a stock keeping unit was. So I, I had to learn all of that. <laughs> <laughs> so the, so the, you actually did have some skills when it came down to it from your gaming past, but you hadn't realized when you started. Yeah. So I was quite comfortable with the marketing side of things. Um, I had already uh, managed large budgets for large companies and so forth. I was relatively comfortable with launching a new market as well, but the physical side was, that was definitely the, 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 it was the obvious area where I'd need to learn and pass. Excellent. So did you start off with your own product designs or did you buy from, uh, you know, the, the products that people were already uh, manufacturing? Uh, so it's sort of a hybrid um, answer. So mm-hmm. on the one hand, uh, we do produce everything ourselves. So we have four groups of uh, Thai artisans that, that produce for us. On the other hand, a lot of the designs that are sold are similar to uh, clothes that 
already exists. So they're sort of uh, tried and trusted. It's usually um, the ties that will propose something and will make some small adjustments for uh, the Brazilian market, um, but usually they're not they're not major. So yes, they're designs that might remind you of something else, um, but we, we do control the um, the entire production. So you really went feet first into the world of uh, a physical product. Yes. You know, um, not just buying it off the shelf, but going, we're actually going to manufacture and then go right the way through. Yes. And we, we had a lot of the, a lot of the uh, problems that are associated with that. And sometimes they're difficult to anticipate. So, um, one, for example, is, is, is color. So all our, mm-hmm. all our products are handmade. And that means that some of them are actually hand dyed. So the fabric mm-hmm. isn't bought, um, but it's actually dyed. So, and it's done in a, a artisanal manner, which means that you have to match the color back to a sample from the last batch to make sure it's actually the same color. So you can imagine for e-commerce, if people are seeing a photo and they want the exact same product that they see on the photo, yeah. if you don't match the color, then you've got a problem. Um, so th- those, those uh, s- small problems that we had at, at the beginning that were difficult to anticipate, um, we're, we're quite comfortable with, uh, now. Excellent. So where in the world are you and where are you selling to? So right now I'm in Bangkok, uh, Thailand. Uh, I just arrived. I'm usually here at the beginning of the year to um, focus on new products and, and, and so forth with uh, the people here. But our main product, uh, our main market, sorry, is Brazil. We also sell in the US and we have a Mexican site for Mexico. All oh, right. So you have do you do you run those all via the Calcetai brand, or do you have a website for each geography? So each one has a separate brand. So it's Calcetai in Brazil, Pantalones Thai in Mexico, which means the same thing. It means tight pants, and we have uh, hip hip pants uh, for the US and for the rest of the world. So we've sold to places like uh, Peru and Zambia and all sorts of far flung places uh, through the the English language sites. Um, in terms of the look and feel, they're exactly the same. The logos are very similar and the actual site looks, um, extremely similar. And then in terms of the inventory management and so forth, it's, it runs centrally. So if the product is sold, uh, say in Mexico, uh, it's immediately unavailable in, in Brazil. So there's a, there's a central, uh, inventory management system. And where do you do you keep which country do you keep the stock in? In Thailand. Oh wow! So you dispatch everything from Thailand to the opposite side of the world. Yes, kind or, of. Or not? If we're selling to Singapore, it's actually just going across the border. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's essentially essentially yes, and that, that's part of the concept. Which sort of selling kindness and we're selling authenticity. So that's the brand story that you're getting something uh, straight from Thailand. And so for, for a lot of people receiving a package from Thailand is actually an experience in itself. Um, mm-hmm. People have never received anything from, from Thailand. So, so uh, that, that's usually quite exciting. And it's sort of proof that it really is Thai clothes and really is produced in Thailand and we really do ship them ourselves from Thailand. And the kind of, sorry, the, the kind of customers that we sell to so our segment is a sort of Zen lifestyle. It's a lot of people who do meditation, perhaps yoga, generally a little bit more relaxed. They tend to be, um, 
a little bit more patient in terms of delivery times. <laughs> so, um, so the delivery times, okay. What about the price point? Do you wrap that into the price of product, or is there a, a high PMP charge? So we have a policy of being very transparent. So mm-hmm. that includes bundling the, pro- the shipping price into the product price. So it's not actually visible. So the price you see for the product actually already includes everything that you need to pay. So if you change your payment method, uh, say you use a bank transfer instead of a credit card, the price won't change. Um, the country that you live in won't have an impact on the price that you pay. So this is part of the, of, of our sort of transparent, um, uh, policy, um, which is wider than just the pricing, but, uh, in terms of the pricing, that's, that's, that's how it works. Cool. I think that's such, that's something which it surprises me more people who create their own product, you know, not buying it off the shelf, but it's your product. You're in charge of the margin, the price points and everything else. It, I don't, it surprises me that more people don't wrap the cost of postage and into that because customers, you know, have delivery prices are just such a customer turn off. It, it just surprises me, but if people don't just put it in there and say free postage. Yes, I, I find think, that quite crazy. So, so I, I take my hat off for you, to you for doing it. <laughs> so I think it's a trade-off. Um, the reason originally we thought of it like this was, was actually because I get very annoyed when I get to the payment page, especially with airlines and certain types mm-hmm. of products. When you get to the final payment page and suddenly you have to pay, you know, 10 pounds more for this or $20 more for, um, this other service, which, which, which is actually, uh, indispensable, but it wasn't, uh, featured on the, on the price. So we wanted, we thought with our, with our brand identity, it didn't really fit very well. So we wanted to be very open and transparent. Um, but it is a trade-off. So if you, if you put the shipping in, um, separately, you can be very precise. Mm-hmm. Of, uh, for example, in Brazil, which is our market, if someone lives in the Amazon, then it's obviously more expensive to, to, to get that product than if they live in Sao Paulo or Korea. So you can be very precise in terms of your margins and have a lot more control over it. But the, the, the trade-off is, as you say, on the soft side, um, it, it does affect your brand and it does affect conversion. Okay. Now, uh, the product then, is it still just the Thai pants that you're selling or have you expanded into other items of Thai clothing? Uh, you've, been, you've been having a look at our site, I think. Um, so, <laughs> so it was originally Thai pants. And just last year, we started experimenting with other things. So for women, we launched bags. And mm-hmm. for men, we launched shirts. But they're predominantly... Uh, complementary products to, to, to the pants. So we're expecting the pants to generate most of our, most of our sales. Um, and these are complementary products for cross-selling and, and, and so forth. And for people who, uh, reach us and perhaps don't want or need pants and they have some other options. Got you. And, um, those three websites you've got operating for the three different marketplaces, which platform have you chosen to put those on? So we use Shopify. Mm-hmm. Um, which is quite a popular choice these days. And, um, all three of them are run on Shopify. Uh, quite often we'll find we can use an app or a third party, uh, plugin for all three of them, uh, because I run off the same, same system. It's not really viable to run one on Magento and one on, on, on Shopify. So yeah. 
it's complicated enough as it is. And are there any key uh, plugins that you you would like to rave about to the listeners? Uh, so we use a few. We try to keep it down to a minimum. Um, mm-hmm. I would possibly highlight there's an, an app called Now in Stock. And mm-hmm. what it does is very simple. It just identifies the products you have that aren't in stock. And it integrates a... Uh, widget within the product page where you can type in your email and just get notified when it comes back. So that's a product you're interested in. It's not available right now. Put my email in. It'll automatically let me know when it comes back. And so one of these apps that just runs in the background. So once you've installed it and you're happy with the look and feel, it just runs. Um, and it just fires up emails automatically when, when, when you, when your, uh, when your stock gets adjusted, so you don't really have to worry about it. And I'd recommend that just because the integration is very smooth. It looks very good. You can actually go and have a look at it on one of our sites. Hopefully, we don't have too many products out of stock. But if you find one, you'll see it's very nicely integrated. It's super cheap. Um, it's $3 a month, which is nothing. Mm. Um, so, yeah. so your ROI is, is, is pretty good because a lot of those emails are going to convert. And there's no real way of doing that, of doing that manually. It's one of those things that... Either you, either you do it or you don't, but there's, there's no way of collecting those, those emails manually and, and then sending an email immediately so that they can get it first before, before other people buy it uh, when, it, when it comes back. Um, I'm going to second that recommendation because we had um, Susie Moore from So Susie Stamps on the show last year who was raving about exactly the same kind of solution. I think it was for big commerce. And, um, and she, she reckons that kind of tool had doubled her sales because really? it had made such a positive impact yeah so why anyone who has products that go in and out of stock does not have an app doing that installed is beyond me it's, it's a no-brainer for me so thank you for mentioning uh the app which was new now in stock wasn't it yes that's correct there's a, and another one i would mention as well which is a little bit mm-hmm. less obvious maybe um which is one called data export so it, it doesn't have a sexy sounding name unfortunately <laughs> Um, and, and it's developed by eStore Automate, <laughs> which is so much better. And what it does, it just allows you to run custom reports. So rather than be limited by what Shopify allows you, uh, to run within its, its reporting, everything, I think they, they rebranded it to analytics now. So in the analytics mm-hmm. tab, you have, um, a load of reports. And unless you're on Shopify Plus, you won't actually be able to run custom reports. And, there's countless situations where you actually just, just need to. So one common one is getting a list of tracking numbers for a given number of orders or given period. So if I want all the tracking numbers for last month, for instance, I can just run it on data export and you can just set up the report exactly how, how you want. And there's no need to upgrade. If that's your main reason for upgrading your Shopify plan, there's actually no reason you can just pay $5 or, and, and use this app. So that would be my second recommendation. Two great plugin recommendations there. <laughs> um, superb. Thank you. And um, if anyone out there is thinking of giving Shopify a try, you can get a lovely little discount if you go via ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash Shopify. Okay, Pierre, your team, how many of you are there scattered across the globe uh, to run your business? So we're around 13 at the moment and they mm-hmm. are they're literally scattered around the globe. Uh, we do use something called Freedcamp. I don't know whether you've heard of it. It's a project management software to sort of keep it all together. Okay. 
Um, it's free. There are it's sort of pre, it's sort of premium, so there, there there are upgrades on it, but most of the functionality is free. Uh, it uses Kanban uh, methodology, and it's quite intuitive, and everyone can can have their account on there. We sync up at least um, on a monthly basis for uh, company updates and so forth, and then and then on different regularity with the, with the different sort of uh, areas and projects. So that's how we manage it. But mostly, people are free to to move around. That they are wherever they are in the world, but they can also move as, as long as they stay online, of course. Um, and that's how it's managed. Oh, cool. And what what are your team doing? How have you split the work between them? So it's quite varied. So we'll have people who are essentially offline, such as um, our photographer. So we have a photographer who is actually in Thailand, and he does the vast amount of our, of our photography for us. And then most people, uh, he's probably an exception, but most people would be online. So they're doing customer service, social media, all, all of those kind of things. And is are any of those kind of full-time employees or are you very much a freelancer gathering? Yeah, we don't, we don't have full-time employees. So they're all part-time. Some are doing more hours than, than others. The route we took was to get people who are specialized in a particular area. So whoever's running Instagram really knows Instagram. Um, and whoever's doing customer service really knows that. Uh, there are cases where people are doing, wearing a couple of packs, so they might be doing more than one, more than one task, but generally we've gone that way rather than having, okay, we're going to have three or four people, but they're going to be permanently with us, um, and, and working on different areas. Got you. And, uh, and then you just manage all those moving parts. Yes. Yes. Which makes it makes it sound so simple, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, I think it's not too bad. It's not too bad. Everyone is bilingual. So we have English as a common language. So obviously in the US, they would have to speak English anyway. But mm-hmm. uh, that might not be the case in Mexico or in uh, Brazil. But we identified that very early on that we would need everyone to be bilingual and the internal communication would be in English. Everyone is very online savvy as well. So we make sure that everyone who comes on board is um, is online savvy. So it, it actually it, it isn't too bad. Uh, time zones, there's not much you can do about it. it that's, that's just yeah, it's just the way it is. Exactly. Um, so um, we don't often have anyone on the show who's based in South America or selling in South America. So what is is there anything different about selling to a South American audience rather than selling to a European or USA audience, or is it a similar set of e-commerce tactics? Um, I think it's it's similarities and differences. Um, some some things are similar, but there are enough. Peculiarities about the peculiarities, sorry, about the, the the market. So fraud tends to be higher. So you need to be quite tight mm-hmm. on on security, fraud filters, and, and, and so forth. The culture is quite different as well. So you, you you might find that e-commerce is slightly less developed and advanced. So a lot of people might be buying online for the first time. So there might be mm-hmm. a little bit more handholding needed. Um, and purchases are sometimes quite impulsive as well, just because of the of the national character. 
So you get a lot of uh, emotional purchases, which you can leverage. Um, There are are definitely differences, but as I say, we we have a very similar site across across all countries. And from a technical point of view, they're managed in in the same way. So you don't have to create a completely different uh, site or concept, but you do have to be aware of of, uh, the, the cultural and cultural aspects. So definitely worth having locals running the social media and the customer services side of things. Yes, I don't think you can do it any other way. That would be that would be e-commerce suicide. So you, you, <laughs> you have to have you have to have someone local um, responding on social media. You have to have your all of your content has to be generated in a way that is uh, not only local but is, is also chimes with whoever your, your customers are. Uh, and the newsletters you send out, all of the touch points that your your customer potentially have has to be uh, sort of properly aligned. You can't just replicate um, something that's in English, get it translated, and 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 send it out because it it, it won't work. Um, and and yeah. it, it's kind of obvious, you know, if you are English speaking and you've received something that has obviously been translated, say from Chinese to English, <laughs> you can tell, you can tell, yeah. and, and 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 so um, it's very difficult to. To build a brand that way. Okay, cool. And then um, you've decided, you know, you chose to start off with Brazil and then expand into both Mexico and the USA. How have you got any tips for anyone who's listening who are thinking of doing a similar kind of expansion across borders? Uh, in terms of actually launching uh, a secondary market. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, there's different ways. There's different ways to do it. So. I wouldn't necessarily say the way that we did it is, is the right way. Um, actually, the English language site was almost um, an accident. So I'll explain that. <laughs> so originally, we, we were very clear that we wanted to be focused on Brazil and then the rest of Latin America. So that, that was the area that had been identified at the beginning. Um, mm-hmm. But we had some issue during the first year related to payment methods. So there was about a month where we were unable to process efficiently. So we decided to pull marketing spend because it just didn't make a lot of sense until until we fixed that. And then we had some spare time. So we launched the English language site. (laughs) Um, So that wasn't really a strategic launch, but now it brings in something like 30% of our revenue. So it's turned out into a good decision, but it wasn't really planned. And it happened at a very early stage. So... Mexico, which happened just last year, it was a little bit more difficult because the site had grown. It was a lot more complex and we immediately had to hire people for, for, for Mexico. Um, and I would say that's probably, that's probably the key to make sure you have people in your new market that you, you can trust and that can really help you grow. Um, and you're going to need that feedback in terms of what we talked about before in terms of, uh, the local culture and, how things are different and the specific payment methods for that for that market. So you ha- you have to study all of that. So if you can hire someone very quickly who is local, they're going to be able mm-hmm. to uh, validate a lot of your decision and say, actually, no, that's not going to work in Mexico. Yeah, this is completely what you need to do and, and so forth. Okay, excellent advice there. Well, I think we should get some more excellent advice now and move into the top tips round. Okay. And I love this section because it gives me and our listeners some really quick ideas for taking our business to the next level. So, Pierre, first of all, do you have a book top tip for us? If everyone listening to this podcast agreed to take Friday off and read a book to make their business better, which book would you recommend? 
okay. So I don't think I would recommend a specific book. So mm -hmm. there's so much written out there by e-commerce gurus and uh, various people. Um, and there's so many sort of claims and counterclaims of this book or this other book. This is the one that you need to read and then, and, and then you'll make it. Um, I don't think it's really the case. There are obviously lots of good books out there. Um, but probably the most important thing I would say is to understand your customers better. So you, 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 I would probably advise you to read whatever your customers are reading. Um, try and consume what they consume, read what they read, and understand how they think and how they feel and so forth. And then it will become more intuitive what you actually need to do with your business. And then you can go and, and maybe read something more specific. Um, but I, I, I wouldn't recommend a specific book that will, that will solve your, um, your e-commerce, uh, pains. What great advice. I always think getting closer to your customer is a great use of it any time. So I think that's brilliant. Thank you very much. Uh, the traffic top tip then, which marketing method do you either prize above all others or think doesn't get the press it deserves? Um, so there's probably two. One, one is uh, mm -hmm. obvious. It's sort of hiding in plain sight. But because of the rise of Facebook, Facebook advertising and sort of the incredible segmentation that Facebook allows, I think AdWords and specifically the, the, the PLA ads and Google Shopping has started to become yeah. a little bit overlooked. And they're actually incredibly powerful. Um, it's true that you can't segment them behaviorally or, 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 or by interest as precisely as you can on Facebook. In theory, the volume is inferior as well um, because it's tapped. It's, it's whoever's searching. You can't just go out and reach everyone, although you rarely do that on Facebook anyway, because it requires a, a, an insane budget. Um, so, but because of Facebook, I think people have started to look at Facebook first instead of looking at, at Google Shopping. And you almost forget how powerful it is, but the conversion rate is actually amazing and, it, and it's a lot more optimizable than you might think. So, the, so the first one would be don't forget about Google Shopping. Um, it's annoying to set up. You need to have, um, feed and so forth. It can get technical. Its user interface is not as good as, as Facebook's, but the results for e-commerce are, are huge. And the second one would probably be user-generated content, which again is something that's talked about a lot, but the reach of it is almost infinite. The number of things you can do uh, is hugely varied as well. It's sort of word of mouth. Uh, but at a scale and with visuals and it's pretty much free. So there's lots of ways you can do this or, or incentivize it without being overly aggressive. So it's not a case of getting your customers to, you know, forcing them to do something. Um, but for, uh, for example, a, a brand like ours, uh, we do a competition quarterly and all you have to do is post a picture of you wearing the product. Most people will have them anyway on their phones. Uh, with a particular hashtag. And that gives us a lot of images of our customers in real life situations, wearing our clothes. And of course, uh, we have our, we're tagged on, on these clothes and, and, and we have the, the hashtag for it. So that's a very simple way and a very soft way of generating a lot of content that you would otherwise find very difficult to do yourself. You'd have to organize shoots and so forth and be hard to, 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 to replicate and would be lacking credibility. And that's completely free, essentially. So for us, for us, we actually have to send one product to the one winner. And that's the cost. Um, so I would say user generated content 
and Google Shopping. Oh, I love that. One paid one on one, essentially free one. There you go. Okay, the, t- the tool top tip now then. Uh, maybe a collaboration tool, a social media plugin, a phone app, or just a way of working. Is there a cool little tool you use that makes you and your team more efficient from day to day? Uh, so I would say the Messenger bots, the, the Facebook Messenger bot. I think this one is great for e-commerce. And so in our case, we have people writing in all the time. They're all on different time zones. And it's, it's very hard to have a human around constantly. And Messenger is obviously, like any messaging platform, people expect uh, an immediate reply. So the, the robot is great. What it does is it's fairly obvious that it is a robot, so it doesn't try to trick people into having a conversation. It, um, but it does offer some choices. So it welcomes them, it tells them a series of, of it offers them a series of choices. They can then get their sort of frequent, frequently uh, asked questions answered. They can have uh, a look at the products, and they're offered a series of buttons within 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 Messenger. Which will uh, guide this, this sort of conversation, and when when a human does come online, they can pick it up from there. So sometimes that's enough, and, and the customer will make a purchase uh, without you ever speaking to them. And other times they will make a very specific question that the robot can't answer, and you pick it up from there. But what you don't have is someone ask someone writing to you, and then there's no reply, and you're just offline. So I would really recommend that one if you haven't got it set up or installed. Then I would say that one is. Excellent. And then the last top tip, the growth top tip. If you met someone today who's focused on growing their e-commerce business from 100 orders per month to 1,000, what would be your number one tip for them? Um, So this one's difficult. Um, There's a a lot written on, on, on how to scale different types of advertising and um, so forth. So I won't go into that, into the specifics of how you, you might scale a, a particular campaign on um, a particular channel. But what I would say is it pays to have everything in place before you do that. So before you throw your cash at scaling, which is, which is relatively easy. Obviously, you know how you have to know how to do it, but uh, online, it's relatively easy. You should make sure that everything is in place. So if you've got a hundred customers a month, then you've got data, which is, which is a great starting point. So you need to look at those hundred people and you know, what are they buying? Why are they buying it? What's your repurchase rate? What's your conversion rate? Um, do you have enough products? And then, and your processes as well. You know, you're collecting uh, email addresses along the way and, and, and so forth. So I would say the key is anticipating, uh, what it means to grow, uh, what you need in place for things to go s- smoothly when you do. When you do scale, um, are you going to need to hire people, delegate? Um, is production going to keep up with the pace of your sales? You know, which system is about to break? Is it, going to, is it going to cost more to upgrade those and so forth? So it's not really about pressing a button and going, okay, now we've got 10 times more sales. Um, it's more about, okay, so we want to scale. We know how to do it, but let's get everything as optimized as possible first and then, and then scale gradually. So that would be my advice. Yet more great advice there. Master Plan World, you can find those top tips and links to everything else we've been chatting about in today's episode by heading over to ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash podcast, where you'll see a link to this show. Now, Pierre, before we say goodbye, could you please let the listeners know where they can find you and your business on the web and social media? 
Yes, absolutely. So the English site would be hippie-pants.com and the Brazilian one would be calcetai.com and the Mexican one would be pantalonestai.com. All of those have their respective social media uh, channels, Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube, and, and, and so on. That's that's available on the site. Um, we also made a promo code for anyone who's listening. So if you like the products, you can use the code MASTERPLAN and that will get you 10% off. Oh, lovely. Thanks for doing that, Pierre. Much appreciated. Uh, I'll add links to all of that and the offer and everything else we talked about today in the show notes. Masterplan World, you can find all that at ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash podcast or just go to the website, click on the podcast tab or use the search box. Pierre, thank you so much for being on the show today and for being so generous, giving us so many tips and ideas. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, Chloe. Thanks for having me. What a fascinating business. And I love the fact that just like last time with Jane at Natural Birthing Company, a happy accident has been a really important part of the business. For Jane, it was how uh, she discovered that, that products was a good direction to go in rather than services. For Pierre, it was the the fact the payment processing wouldn't work. So they went, oh, let's build an English language site. And that's now 30% of their sales. We love those happy accidents. But in some ways, you do create them yourselves because you've got to keep your eye out for them when they come along. Um, other things I thought were, were really good there from Pierre was his, his approach to PMP, wrapping that price up in the product to give a better customer experience uh, and taking the margin hit the times it happens. Uh, and also just, oh, well, quite frankly, so many little tips and ideas he gave us there that um, if I try and tell you about all of them, we'll be here for another 30 odd minutes. So I'm just going to let you take them from what Pierre said. So maybe you might need to re-listen to this one. If you've got any thoughts or questions, then please do go and join our Facebook group at ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash Facebook and put them there. And if, as you're listening and hopefully enjoying the podcast, please do share it with your e-commerce friends. Whether that's on social media, in person, or you go and put us a review on iTunes, I really don't mind. But uh, what I would like you to do is to have a great week and to keep optimising. Thank you for listening to the e-commerce master plan podcast. Find out more at ecommercemasterplan.com.